You're listening to Cortez Community Radio, CKTZ 89.5 FM. I'm Dee Clark, and this is Cortez Currents, which you can also access in text form at cortezcurrents.ca. Today we present part four of Cortez at Ferry Creek in their own words, a Cortez Current special feature. This story is told in a series of half-hour segments. All of these segments will be available as podcasts on cortezcurrents.ca for your listening convenience. Most of us are probably aware of the protest and blockade at Ferry Creek on Vancouver Island. For over a year, forest defenders have blocked a logging road to prevent logging company Teal Jones from cutting intact old-growth areas. For this special feature, I did a little oral history with seven local people who went to Ferry Creek to join that blockade. After a public appeal for interviewees, I managed to schedule recording dates with Margaret, Aaron, Caitlin, Maya, and Danny from Blue Jay Lake Farm, and with Cease and Christine from Whaletown. Their voices have been woven together to create a narrative from multiple points of view. I'd like to thank our interviewees, sincerely, for taking the time to tell their stories. I hope this series will convey something of how it felt to be there, on the ground, at Ferry Creek. And I hope our listeners will find these first-hand accounts as fascinating and as revealing as I did during interviews. In this episode, I ask our interviewees about the larger and often complicated context of the Ferry Creek blockade. What were their thoughts on the media coverage, the government's response, the politics of the local area? Like, I had been reading about it earlier and wasn't sure if I wanted to go because the Pachydat had said they didn't want people there. But then I read further in the article and it said, but there are some members from that community and other First Nation communities that are there protesting. And I thought, I think something else is going on here. It's more complex than just they don't want us there because it's their land. We had the good fortune to participate in a circle in the afternoon that um, was hosted by Bill Jones. He is one of the elders. He is the hereditary elder who has extended the invitation to people to be there. It is his invitation by which we all have felt ethically it was okay to be there. I knew that Indigenous like bands and councils and their government is really complicated and obviously very imposed upon them a lot of the time. But I still don't know fully about it, but I could just see and hear and read what I was being given at Fairy Creek that it was really complicated and that like, you know, if the Patchadat office says I don't want the Fairy Creek protesters to be there, we want to log this. Like there's, they're, they were in a contract. They're in a contract that makes them have a gag order saying that they're not allowed to dissent and anyone in their nation who is dissenting, they have to be controlled. And they are, the government's able to audit all of their finances. And they were getting a very small cut of money from what was Teal Jones, from what Teal Jones was getting for cutting it. So um, like, yeah, it's a lot more complicated than, oh, they just want this, right? Yeah, like it was really mm-hmm. complicated. And... I guess 
where's the transparency? I've I've heard so many things like the Patchydat Nation is getting $250,000 for the logs that are coming out of Ferry Creek. It's like, that's just a pittance mm-hmm. compared to what Teal Jones is, is getting. And, you know, I've heard the RCMP helicopters are flying in Teal Jones loggers to get them past the protesters so that they can log the old growth. I was really frustrated with the media because I remember going to Ferry Creek, being there for quite a bit of stuff that was happening, and CBC was there. They'd come in every day, or not every day, but they would come in and CTV would come in and Global and Globe and Mail and... And then you would not have really access to internet. And they, there was Wi-Fi, but you wouldn't go on it that often. And I wouldn't read the news. So I, I knew what was happening at Ferry Creek because I was part of the intake and like welcoming committee. And I got a lot of information from a lot of um, different sources. So I, I knew what had happened there. And then I would go and we'd read the news stories on the way back. And they were very different than what had actually happened there. At that time it felt to me that media coverage was very poor, that, that it, was, it was limited and what there was was poor. And most people that I spoke to were asking the question, why is that? Why? So yeah, just how the media contorts things or maybe you'll have a good reporter who comes in and does a bunch of really great interviews, but then it's edited out and it's not, it's not the story. So it really made me question where to get information from and made me feel really yeah uncertain about a lot of things because I didn't I didn't I don't know where to get credible news stories from anymore. Most of the individuals that were behaving as media, I don't really know where their work was going. I, I think it was going primarily onto social media, not the mainstream. Not the mainstream. And, and it remains it remains poorly poorly covered, I think. It's better than it was. But I think if you walked down the street in Vancouver and just interviewed random people, you'd be hard pressed to find very many that really understand what the current situation is. Right. (laughs) But that is always um, a bit of a shock when you participate in an event and then you read the media coverage afterwards. It's like, hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the the public media, that is most people listen to CBC, so that's where they're getting their news from. And also, if CBC doesn't report on Ferry Creek, people aren't hearing about Ferry Creek, you know? Like, so they kind of are gearing the public opinion a lot of the time. And that's kind of scary, too. Was there any reportage that you felt was high quality? I remember telling my parents a lot of things I'd learned there, and they said, you know, we read a lot of that in the Globe and Mail that there's some really good in-depth stuff that went through and explained some of the, the stuff going on. So they had some good articles in the Globe and Mail. Hmm. Then I don't listen to the news very much. And in retrospect, it's like not a bad thing because when I heard news from Ferry Creek, it was so, like on, you know, the Sun, the province, I did find newspapers that were accurate, but I had to really look for them. And they were already environmental type newspapers. I know the Narwhal and the Taiyi and the Guardian are three Mm -hmm. newspapers that I have decided to support financially. I mean, the media portrayed things in a very black and white way and kind of made it seem like 
people were maybe there fighting for just for the sake of it, kind of after they made certain announcements about things in the media that, you know, oh, well, now Horgan has said that we are going to be protecting old growth. And so the protest doesn't need to continue because everything's great now. Like, what is their problem? You know, why don't they go home and let these people do their work, you know? I don't think very many people have been well enough informed to actually uh, understand. So that was the other thing that was really hard to witness is to hear Horgan talk about deferrals and to have my friends say, you did it. And for me to say, did what? We haven't done anything. For me to have to get my news off Facebook is really hard. Like the, the, they had said that the government had put on a, a deferral and then one of the which was true, but one of the headlines was old growth is saved. <laughs> That's not what that is. <laughs> and people read headlines for the most part. I know I do it often if I don't have time to read the full article. And yeah, at the very end, they said, oh, oh yeah, it's been deferred for two years. And I mean, that's helpful for today, but it's going to be logged in two years. It's probably going to be logged in two years anyways. I don't think a deferral constitutes real action or, you know, or is enough based on what we were asking for. I mean, first off, a deferral is only for a set number of years. So what happens when those years are gone? Um, You know, is it back to square one? And, you know, they say that it's to give them time to come up with more set plans. But I think it's maybe just a way of buying time and deflecting attention away from the issue. So I think, you know, people are staying committed until there's um, real promises and real concrete action on these issues. And also recognizing that it's become a bigger issue than just Fairy Creek, I think is part of it. It's Yes, it's really important that this watershed gets protected. And I think the movement has grown beyond that to encompass the need to protect old growth in BC. And there was recently some announcements about new promises that the government was making. I forget the exact numbers, but it was some percentage of what old growth has currently left in BC. And, you know, my first impression of that is like, why not all of it? Mm-hmm. Why Why are we still just talking of a percentage of a percentage? Because <laughs> if we're talking about, you know, 20%, I can't recall the exact number now, but 20% of 2.7%, mm-hmm. that's still not very much <laughs> in terms mm-hmm. of what should still be standing in this province. But there's so much logging going on everywhere that's like not like, you know, we can't necessarily have enough people on the ground everywhere to prevent this so there needs to be other ways to to stop this on a on a broader scale in bc so yeah i think it's all important i think the scientists gathering information you know logging species and and proving and showing how it's irreplaceable is important and you know i think organizations also like the ancient forest alliance who aren't specifically involved in protest because they work alongside you know government and business in their kind of mandate of what you know how they approach this issue are also important because they're trying to change public opinion in a different way um you know people that might be 
more difficult to persuade based on their associations with the industry, you know, and, and convincing those people that protesters are not out to have them starving in the streets is also important um, because I noticed there was a lot of pushback in terms of the, you know, logging feeds my family type ethos. And I think we have to, as, you know, protesters and as people trying to halt a certain industry, we have to be aware of that and cognizant that those are real fears that people have and have real solutions, real world solutions to like their concerns if we're going to enact change around these things. Yeah, the logging industry has lost more jobs to automation and equipment <laughs> upsizing than it ever will to protesters. Yeah. And yeah. that's, you know, and you can argue those things until you're blue in the face. And I don't know that will necessarily convince people otherwise. So it's it's hard. Maybe one thing that, again, that I hope people understand how the, the loss of the court decision on the injunction happened. The injunction that Teal Jones had was for a year. And when they went back to court to renew it for a year, Judge Thompson turned them down. And the... The thing that people need to realize is that, I mean, I read, I read his, his response word for word and everybody else can, it's on the public record, quite understandable. But, but to summarize it, really, he was saying, look, at, I ruled previously that your exclusion zones were illegal and your behavior with the media is unacceptable, etc." And the RCMP absolutely blatantly ignored his ruling and in fact doubled down, really. So that's why he turned it down. He just said, look, you're not going to pay any attention to to the ruling of the court. We'll just remove the whole whole job. Now you got no job left to do. Get out of here because you're doing it so disrespectfully, you're dishonoring the RCFP, you're dishonoring the court, you're undermining the entire justice system, get out of here. You know, it wasn't because, it wasn't really about Peel Jones or protecting the environment or anything. It was just, it was the cops that brought that on themselves. So I think it's important that people understand why that happened. And that the court system and the law is not yet undertaking any defense of forests or defense of the environment as a responsibility of the courts. It was really about civil rights again and policing, but it is not the case yet that any court in BC is going to say this logging practice is detrimental to the health and well-being of the citizens of the world. And so as a, as a sitting justice, I'm going to rule against this timber company. That wasn't the point. No, unfortunately, it was not the point. And that is the holy grail. That's what we need. We need somebody, some court, somewhere soon to have the guts to take that step. Because I think it will be taken. I hope it's soon, because uh, otherwise it's going to be too late. How do you get full public support for these things when it's very polarized and the opinions are very polarized and... I know that the Ancient Forest Alliance is really part of their work is trying to convince people or convince industry that there are ways that we could 
change things while maintaining jobs and Mm -hmm. securing people's income for the future just yeah we need to just have like a large push but i think a lot of that has to come from the government in terms of subsidizing Mm -hmm. certain changes and they've already had some successes with you know with those projects working with groups to have alternative sources or like retooling equipment well i think there's still hope that that there can be and it needs to be a deep shift in forestry policy and i i would say that i feel that the ntp government is hiding behind the the excuse of the indigenous part in this whole that they are placing and particularly the report that came out you know 10 days ago basically saying to the indigenous communities we'll give you 30 days for you to comment i mean i think that's a very i'm going to put this politely a very chicken way of uh, dealing with this i think they are not showing leadership they're not showing courage they're not showing any kind of far-reaching vision and leadership in our forestry sector. And they've got very little time left. So I'm I'm completely, I'm going to be polite again, I'm very disappointed in, in the actions of the NDP government. And I think they've placed a very unfair burden on Indigenous communities. And, and, and I don't think we would be there today with what they even have done if it hadn't been for pressure coming from a number of, of other, like the world spotlight for about four weeks was really intensified on Ferry Creek. And I think that is what turned the, the scale and, and shifted the NDP government. You know, they've taken a small step. It's, it's a far cry from what's needed. And I think they're hiding behind what they've asked the Indigenous um, communities to do. And there's a few things that I would hope that people understand that I think are really important. And I, and I don't know, maybe most of the people that hear this will understand these things, but but the original so-called deal that the BC government made with the three First Nations down there, you know, I mean, it changed nothing, okay, nothing. All of, all of the logging that is permitted is already still clear to go. It didn't affect anything that's permitted. Well, the permits go for years. Okay, I mean, these plans are five-year plans that are put in place. So, you know, they're quite capable of carrying on and doing this exactly the same thing they were before with absolutely no change at all for a few years. And people need to realize that. And this recent thing in this, in this last 10 days or so, it doesn't change anything either. I mean, it doesn't defer anything. What it does is it creates a possibility that things might be deferred. That's all. And, and it dumps the entire responsibility for the success of the proposal onto the First Nations people. And, you know, if they can't make a, a, a decision in 30 days, then the government gets to say, well, that's their fault. We offered, we did what we could, so blame it on them. It has definitely made my opinion about the NDP completely different. That was one thing that's, you know, I think I had some sort of trust or belief that, you know, all the major parties in Canada 
they could possibly, you know, enact some purposeful and change some things. And uh, I'm completely disillusioned about that now. And so it does feel like in terms of politics, like just absolutely nothing will ever change unless we force it to. So it feels like we just have no options for enacting change that will actually help us in the future. You mean through the electoral Through the electoral system. system. Like I'm completely disillusioned of any sort of change happening that way now. Do you think the NDP is going to lose a chunk of voters over this? I definitely changed my vote because of because of this election and I would probably never vote for the BC NDP ever again. <laughs> so I hope they do, you're but just, I don't know. You're the... not the only person who said that to me. So. Yeah. I mean, I think it's natural that they would because they also were elected on these false promises. So it's not like it was out of the blue. They completely, you know, went back on what they said they were going to do. You've just been listening to part four of Cortez at Fairy Creek in their own words, an oral history with Cortez locals who went to Fairy Creek to join the Forest Defenders. This Cortez Current special feature airs on Saturdays at 1 p.m. with a rebroadcast Wednesday evenings at 5 p.m. In our next and final episode, I ask our friends and neighbors what they brought home from Fairy Creek. What did they learn? What conclusions did they draw? How were they touched or changed? by that experience. Just a reminder, the views and opinions heard on this program are not endorsed by Cortez Community Radio, its board, its staff, its membership, or any granting agency, but are those of the writer, producer, and guests. And, as always, thanks for listening.